0: Friends, uh, if you have your Bibles or or your smart device, however you do that, um, get off of YouTube, don't buy shoes, turn to Colossians chapter 1. It was the summer of 2009 and one of my closest friends in the world was the pastor of a really large church in that, that northern state of Kentucky. And he was sitting in a counselor's office in Brentwood at the end of himself. Physically, he was a shell of himself. Emotionally, he was a train wreck. Spiritually, he was broken and he was at his wits end. Physically, he could barely complete sentences. And my friend had hit the wall. And so he we went into a counselor's office in Brentwood. And then we went across the street like, good, like all good Christians do. And we went to Panera to occupy their free Wi-Fi. Talk about Jesus. And, I, and my friend was saying to me, Jamie, I don't know if I can do it anymore. The hardship, it's too much. The anxiety and the fear is more than I can handle. The attacks on my family and my kids, the critiques of every word that I say and everything that I do, I don't think I can do it any longer. Have you ever had one of those moments where you say something and after it comes out of your mouth, you go, Man, that was pretty good. I don't know where that came from. Have you ever had one of those moments? Yeah. Well, this was one of those moments because I looked across the table at my friend and I said, well, you know, the question is not are are all these hardships going to go away? The question is, is the hardship worth it anymore? And so a few months later, when we began Exploring the idea of what we now know as Redeemer Church. The question that was before me was very simple. What is it that makes the hardship worth it? What is it that makes the difficulty of any endeavor worth it because anything worth doing is hard and anything worth doing comes with difficulty and anything worth doing will come with stumbling blocks along the way and then you add in a spiritual component where anything worth doing for the glory of God will be attempted by Satan to be stopped at all cost the question is what makes it all worth it And so as we were kicking that question around in our souls, one day, reading Colossians chapter 1, the passage that Brandy just read for us, I came to these words. Him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that was the the put down the Bible and sit still and be stopped in your tracks moment that we've tried to build everything here at Redeemer Church off of. What makes ministry worth it? Jesus being exalted by people who hear of him, believe in him, and grow in him, and serve him. Why on earth does Hendersonville, Tennessee need another church? By the way, that's the most read blog post we've ever written by 30-fold. Inquiring minds must want to know the answer. Because there are people who need to hear of Jesus, meet Him, believe in Him, be changed by Him, and serve Him. Why, when a new church comes here every other month, should we rejoice rather than be sad and get territorial? Because as long as there are people who need to meet Jesus, believe in Him, be changed by Him, and serve Him, there's a need for more people to go and say, with everything that I have, I will proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So seven years ago, we launched a congregation based on this one verse, based on this one point that Jesus is the king of all who is to be exalted, and it's the purpose of all who know Jesus to seek to help other people be more like Jesus. I'm done. Y'all ready to go home? So, today on our seventh anniversary, I want us to explore why we exist and explore where we're going. Those two things are one and the same. We exist to proclaim Jesus, we exist to help people know Christ, believe in Him, be changed by Him, and serve Him. That's a fourfold point for make disciples. That's why we exist. Do you know why I believe God led a group of people known as Grace Christian Church to give us a million dollars worth of property and assets that you're enjoying right now? Do you know why? Because there are people going down this peninsula who need to meet Jesus and believe in Him and be changed by Him and serve Him. And our work here, based upon population studies, is never going to be done because people are flocking into this community. And do you know what they need? To meet Jesus, to believe in Him, to be changed by Him, and to serve Him. Brothers and sisters, It's my belief that God's desire is for His Son, Jesus, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, who will come again. It's God's desire that Jesus be exalted, praised, worshipped, followed, and served in this world, and that He will be finally exalted in the life that is to come. It's also my belief, and our belief, that everyone who knows Christ, who is brought into his family, who believes in him, who's been transformed by him, has a purpose to serve him, and we serve him by proclaiming Jesus, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Why do you exist to know Christ and to make Him known? Why do we exist to know Christ and to make Him known? Why has God given us this property to know Christ and make Him known? Why are you here today? Because I believe that God wants you to either know Christ or to become more committed to making Him known. And this is our future. This is our future. I don't care how big we get or small we become. I don't care how many buildings we have or if we're in this little building forever. I don't care whether we park in the grass, in the mud, across the street, or by four buses. I don't care as long as Jesus is being exalted and people are being called to use their lives for the glory of his name. So if you're here today and you're a part of Redeemer, let's recalibrate ourselves. It is the will of God for us to make Christ known everywhere and always on Sundays and on all the other days when we're gathered and when we're scattered. If you're here today and you're exploring this particular church like is God maybe leading me here? Here's what we want to be known for. People who know Christ, who've been changed by Christ and who are serving him joyfully. If that's what you are seeking after come and join in with us. If you're if you're here visiting today from another congregation I would simply say to you, Go back to that congregation and be an agent of change to bear great fruit and people who know Christ serving him and inviting as many as we possibly can to come before the throne and to know him. And if you're here today going, who are you crazy people? What are you doing? Thanks for the chocolates. Thanks for the coffee mug. By the way, if you're our guest, we have in the back a brand new coffee mug filled with good chocolate just for you. Good chocolate, good coffee makes life better. But you know what's even supremely better? A God, that's the most trite transition to Jesus under the sun, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, I'm not. I can't even do it. I can't bring myself to do it. (laughs) If you're here exploring Christianity with us today, we just want to invite you to meet Jesus. We want to invite you to meet Christ. He cares for his people. He saves his people. He loves his people. He delivers his people He works for his people. And today you can become his child and we would invite you to him and we would love to celebrate with you. We would love to lead you to Christ. We would love to celebrate what God's doing here and in your life. Why does Redeemer Church exist? To proclaim Christ and to make disciples. Here's what we believe to be true. The only way for a human to to know God is when Jesus and the story of his salvation is told and heard and believed. Here's what else we know to be true. The only way for those who know Christ to grow and to mature is to hear the story of who God is, what his son has done for us, and how much he is at work in our lives so that we can follow him. Without Christ being exalted, there is no church. Without Christ being exalted, there is no conversion. Without Christ being exalted, there is no maturity. Without Christ being exalted, there is no discipleship. And if we ever take our eyes off Christ exalted and put them on who we are and what we do, we're just moralists, and moralists don't honor Jesus. Sinners who know the grace of God, who fall down in his presence, who receive his mercy anew day by day, honor Jesus. And it's those in whom Jesus is pleased to work and bear fruit. Isaiah said it this way, No eye has seen and no ear has heard a God like ours who works for those who wait for him. Do you hear that? Who does God work for? those who humble themselves in His side and wait for Him to pour out His grace and His mercy. We make much of Jesus because it's the will of God. Jesus is the salvation of God. And Jesus works through those who depend upon Him. So Redeemer Church exists to proclaim Christ. And so we want to proclaim Him in our preaching in our teaching, in our children's classes, in our community groups, when we're gathered around the coffee pot, when we're sitting at Starbucks, when we're at our favorite restaurants, when we're playing at a city park, we want to be a people who are exalting the greatness of Jesus and never replacing Christ with a personality or with ourselves or with our goodness or with our awesomeness. But Jesus alone is who we proclaim in word and in deed. So I would invite you to make it your life's goal to proclaim Christ. Redeemer Church exists to make disciples. By the way, you're wondering why the sermon points aren't on PowerPoint. It's because they're on the banners here. Follow along, please. We exist to proclaim, to make disciples. That's the most overused word, isn't it? Make disciples. Every church exists to make disciples. Every church wants to have disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. disciples. But what does that mean? What does that mean? How do we do that? Here's my summary today, that maybe it'll stick or maybe we'll critique it later. But a disciple is a follower of Jesus. That's what the word means. So a disciple knows Christ, believes in Christ, is changed by Christ, and serves Christ. And so with that definition, those friends who are with us today, who who are not followers of Christ, the first step for you is to know Jesus and believe in him and we would invite you to him today. But where so many churches stop is that becoming a disciple is just believing in Christ. But disciples continually follow after Jesus. So to be a disciple, yes, is to hear of Christ. And yes, is to believe in Christ. But it's to be transformed by Christ. You know, in the 1950s, every testimony was like, I was in jail five times and I'm the worst person you could ever know. And now Jesus saved me and I'm not that anymore. Well, look, don't go to jail, don't commit crazy crimes. You don't have to hit rock bottom to come to Christ, but you might need to. But the point is, those whom Jesus saves, he transforms. Look at the passage. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. The point is, we're not yet who God desires us to be. None of us. And the more we walk with Jesus, the more he will transform us. The more he'll start to to sanctify away our sins. The more he'll change our hearts. The more he'll take our love for evil, idolatrous things and replace them with love for him and his word and his ways. Christians who know Christ over time become like Christ. So you don't have to have the, I was in jail testimony, but I would hope you could look back at who you were and look at who you are today and say, Jesus has made a profound difference in my life. Now look, I got one of those crazy, over-the-top hellion to saint type testimonies. Look, the kid who grew up next door to me said that he believes in the sovereignty of God for one reason, that I'm a Christian. That bad, okay? And my stepdad's down here, and he'll affirm all that after the service if he needs to for you. But you don't have to follow my path. I hope my kids don't follow my path, but I hope my kids know Christ believe in Him, and are transformed by Him in such a way that they serve Him and that they recognize that His salvation is the greatest treasure. That's what I yearn for. So at Redeemer, we preach the Word because we want to help people meet Jesus. We preach the Word because we want to help people believe in Jesus. We preach the word because we want to help people be transformed by Jesus. In our small groups, we talk about the word because we want people to meet Jesus and believe in Jesus and be transformed by Jesus. We also believe that disciples serve him. Serve him. And I look around this church, and I am so thankful for all of you. Like, if you're visiting today, here's what's really unique about Redeemer. We don't have any dead weight around here. Like, everybody does about 15 things. So if you want to come do like 14, we'd let you in at 14, right? <laughs> Maybe 13. We'll, we'll take a vote later, okay? I'm, I'm just, like, man, these, I mean, sir, gee, man, this is it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We had two massive events this weekend, and I just showed up, stood up here, got credit for some stuff, being good, didn't do anything. because people serve like crazy. So this morning, though, church, I have a challenge for us. Part of what it means to serve Jesus is to take up Paul's calling in Colossians 1:24 through 29 and say it's mine. Part of what it means to serve Jesus is be just as committed to people outside of the church, experiencing, knowing, and believing in Christ as you are those brothers and sisters inside the church, growing in Christ. Let me say that one more time. Part of what it means to serve Jesus is being just as committed to those outside the church knowing Christ as we are committed to those inside the church growing in Christ. So listen to Paul with those ears. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church. By the way, what that weird statement means is not that Jesus' death was incomplete and Paul needed to complete it, but what it means is When Paul would go and represent the gospel of Jesus, what was missing was a clear manifestation of suffering for the good of the glory of God. And so when Paul suffered and endured hardship for the cause of Christ, he was showing that Jesus is a servant of sinners, and he was displaying the power of God to sustain those who endure for God's glory. So therefore, Paul says... I became a minister. Don't think pastor who gets a paycheck. Think I belong to Jesus and I have a calling. According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, what is it? To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Now we could stop there and say, yep, see, Paul wants us to invest in the growth of Christians. He wants us to invest in the inside, and I think that he does. But but look at the next verse, verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the, let's all say it together. What's the next word? The Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what's Paul saying? My calling is to take this message at great cost where? Out there. Where? To those who are far from God. Where? To those who are not on the inside, who don't belong to the covenant of Israel. It's God's will that the Word of God be fully explained and fully taught and fully revealed to those who are far from Him. So just as much as we're committed to to the growth within, which I am all for, and we will remain committed to that, I want us to become equally committed to the hearing and the exposing and the meeting of Jesus on the outside. Therefore, we proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, now listen to these words, I toil I struggle. And then this is the line that made me want to plant a church. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you hear that? Just like earlier when we were praying and I said, God cares for us so much that he wants us to cast our anxieties upon him. Do you hear what, what Paul is saying right here? God in his power, through his spirit goes with us as we take the gospel to hard places. You're not alone. Yeah, you're not smart enough, but the spirit is. Yeah, you're not wise enough, but the spirit is. Yeah, you don't have all the answers, but the spirit does. Yeah, you don't know what to say, but the spirit does. The spirit is with us. So at Redeemer, we want to be committed to proclaiming Christ and making disciples in its totality, which means a disciple who knows Christ, believes in Christ, is changed by Christ, and serves Christ. We want to be a church that's committed to the gospel going outward. So let's do emphasis for a minute, if we can. Look at chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim... Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I believe over the last seven years at Redeemer, under my leadership, the emphasis in verse 28 has been proclaim, warning, and teaching. I believe the emphasis in that verse, the way we've talked about it, has been proclaim, warning, and teaching. And if you're a Greek student, you would say, absolutely, those are the main verbs. And I would agree with you. I'm not repenting of anything. I'm glad that the emphasis has been proclaim, warning, and teaching. And I want us to continue to proclaim, warn, and teach. But I do want to add to it. Here's what I want our, our emphasis to be when we leave here today. Everyone. Everyone. So let's read this with a new emphasis. Him we proclaim, warning, everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ I want us to proclaim Christ and I want us to make disciples but I want us to do so with a broader emphasis look I think we've done evangelism I think we've been committed to evangelism I think we've seen the fruit of our evangelism I just want us to renew our focus on people in the world meeting Jesus through us. Now, if you're new to Redeemer, here's what's different, I think, about us. I don't care if we get any of the credit ever. I don't care if the people to whom you minister live in Thompson Station and never once set foot in Hendersonville or in this church. I don't care if you're ministering to high school students who are far from Jesus and they come to Christ and their family always went to another church in our community so they start going to church with their parents. I don't care. What I care about is that we are maturing disciples who are faithful to serve Christ just as much as we're faithful to know Christ and we take the gospel with us and we bear fruit in this world. That's what I care about. Now, I also pray there's a baptistry behind these banners, and these banners are going to go away soon. And we're going to get this fixed sometime between now and the end of the world. So right now, it doesn't work. But once it gets fixed, I pray that Sundays don't go by where there's not somebody professing Christ, being discipled, and ready to identify with Him through baptism i got a pretty good backlog building up right now, so that's pretty cool. Like It's going to be great once we get it fixed. Any electricians in the house, come see me afterward. I'd love to talk to you about that. I pray, though, that people on the outside would say this about Redeemer. They love Christ. They love His Word. They love one another. And they do everything they can take the love of Christ to others. As much as that's true of who we are, then let's celebrate it and let's praise God for it. And as much as we need to grow, let's ask the Spirit to help us. I want to conclude this sermon with a couple diagnostic questions for you. On the level of of your own standing before God. Have you ever come to a place where you've recognized that you're a sinner who deserves God's wrath and that you need help? And if you have, have you ever heard of Jesus who came and obeyed God so fully that when he died as the Son of God, he bore the wrath of God that all sin for all time deserved and he took the wrath that you deserve in such a way that you can be forgiven and have new life and new life that is everlasting have you ever come to that point where you've said yes I need Jesus and I need his salvation if not please talk to one of us today please let us help you meet Christ if you have met Christ if you are His child, here's my second diagnostic question for you today. In what ways can you see that you're being changed by Christ? In what ways can you see that you're being changed by Christ? Maybe you should ask your spouse that over lunch. I bet you get an honest answer. Or maybe you could phrase it like this, in what ways do I need to be changed by Christ? That's where you'll get an honest answer. Third diagnostic question. This is about the church. Is there anyone in my life that I'm honest with about the state of my soul and my sin and my struggles and my needs. So much so that if I was addicted to something sinful, I would have to lie to cover it up. Is there anyone who knows me like that? I think if we're committed to proclaiming Christ and making disciples of one another, all of us should be able to answer yes to that question. And if you got a no today, I'd love to help you make that a yes. Fourth question about the church. Is there anyone in this world who does not share your DNA who would say you're making a spiritual impact on their lives? Is there anyone in this world who doesn't share your DNA And by the way, I'm all for discipling your kids. I'm all for discipling your spouse. I'm all for that, but I'm pushing us out. Is there anyone in this world who doesn't share your DNA or is not your spouse who would say, yes, Jamie Mosley is making a spiritual impact in my life? And if the answer is no, I would challenge you lovingly to go and make that happen. If you're in this room and you're over the age of 49, I'm not gonna ask for hands, right? You never ask people how old they are. You never ask women if they're pregnant. They're just certain things you don't do, right? A family in our church barred my kayaks on Friday, husband, wife, and I had an extra large adult life jacket and five kids life jackets that maxed out at 90 pounds. So I showed up and I said to the husband, I got a life jacket for you. And I said to the wife, I'm not asking you how much you weigh. I will not do it. We just don't do that. But it's only good if you're under 90 pounds. Y'all have fun today. So there's just certain things you don't do. I'm not asking my friends over 49 to show me your hands. But here's what I notice about my friends over 49. You've convinced yourselves that you have nothing to offer younger Christians. And every younger Christian in this room would yearn for you to talk about your life, your struggles, your faith, your parenting, your children, places you messed up, places you would love to have things be done differently. I promise that younger folks in this church would love for you to make a spiritual impact in them. I promise. Stop being so faux humble and recognize that God's done a lot in your life to bring you to this point and be committed to making a spiritual impact in someone else's life. Is that number four? Number five. I'm looking outside now. Is there anyone, again, without my DNA, who is far from Jesus that would call me their friend? Is there anyone far from Jesus who would call me their friend? Now notice the way that sentence was structured. Not you would call them your friend. But they've seen your care and concern and benevolence and kindness and mercy so much that they would call you their friend. I want to challenge you to write those people's names down. A little dreaming for me, but what if every single person in this room, there's about 160 of us right now. What if every single person in this room could list at least three people's name of people who are far from Jesus who will call us their friend? And we committed to pray for those friends, love those friends, befriend those friends, and speak the gospel to those friends. Do you think the Lord would work through us? I 100% do. Five diagnostic questions that I hope will shape the DNA of who we are and further us as a congregation. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you've done so much good in this congregation. We receive it as a gift from your grace and we ask for more. Lord, I pray you would work in each person's mind and soul in this room now and draw us to yourself and draw us to your son. We pray, Lord, that you would show us where we need maturity and growth and conviction, and where we can be more faithful to proclaim Christ and make disciples for the sake and the glory of your name. Help us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.